for the last couple of uh, messages that we did here, uh, Tuesday we did something showing how that God uses people in the earth. And we've progressively been somewhat of a part one, part two, and this may very well be something of a part three. I want to look at Genesis chapter 12 and look at a very well-known couple of verses, Genesis chapter 12 and verse 1. Now the Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house unto a land that I will show thee. We start here with a plan of God. And this introduces an idea that God had set apart something, that he wanted a specific person, which would become a family and they would grow, and he wanted that specific group of people to end up in a certain geographical place on the earth. He tells Abram here, I want you to leave your house, father's house, and get to a land, a specific place that I'll tell you about. Moses, or of course Abraham, as we've said many times, he doesn't even know for sure where he's going. He's just following God. And it's a remarkable story of faith. But we want to step back and just look at the, the large plan of God. We're going to start here in Genesis and work our way right out the back part of the Bible. Because we want to drill into the believer, get uh, something cemented into us, a little bit of how God works. No, but none of us know exactly what he's going to do in our lives tomorrow, the next day. But generally speaking, he does have a certain way of doing a few things. When he wants to get something done in this earth with, with his plan, in the Bible, he's always used people. He'll send an angel to come talk to a person and give them their instructions. He'll come send an angel into a person's life and tell them, even though you've never had certain things in your life like Abraham, never had a kid, He's talking to someone here who's 75 at this time. He's going to be 99 when he has that first child. And what's God's plan for his life? Next verse, verse 2. I will make of thee a great nation. Now because you and I know the story, we've done it many times, as soon as we hear the word, make of him a nation, our mind immediately explodes and we think of all those Thousands, hundreds, millions even of Israelite Jewish people that have been on the earth back then and continue even to this day. And that is what that's speaking of. Why would God talk to one man and the first time he comes to talk to him, he says, I'll make of you great nations. He could have just talked to him about the one child, the promise. That is the focus in a few chapters. But when he talks to Abram, he says, I'll make of thee a great Nation. Well, first of all, what is a nation? The very definition of it, it's a lot of people. A lot of people. And God, introducing his plan to Abram, he is going to use this nation of this enormous melting pot of people, these tribes put together, woven together, connected. He's going to use that group of people to bring something into the earth. And this is his plan. Let's, let's keep reading. Verse 2, I'll make of thee a great nation, I'll bless thee, make thy name great, thou shalt be a blessing. And this is what he means when he says you're going to be a blessing. He goes on to describe that through your family, through your family that's going to grow into a great nation, something, something very specific is going to come out of it. The Savior, the Messiah. doesn't use those words in this text here. But as the Bible keeps referring back to this story, we know 
that this is what God was talking about. Now think of this. The first time he comes to talk to Abram, I'm going to make of you a great nation. He's painting a picture of his plan on the earth. He wants to get something into this earth. And the reason is, if we would just, from where we're at, if we'd go back a few chapters, you're in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve. Sin comes into the world and God right there tells even Adam and Eve and the serpent there when he called him on the carpet. Someday there's something coming that's going to crush your head. And God does it. How? At this time, he does not send an angel down there to wrap that old serpent up and throw him into the fiery pit. That happens at the very end of Revelation. Between Genesis 1 and Revelation 22, how does God deal with this problem of sin in the earth? Even though he's got this Savior coming into the earth, he's always using people. That phrase we'll be mumbling to ourselves as we walk out the door tonight. God uses people. Think how big of a, of a project God is introducing to Abram. That through your lineage, out of your loins, is going to come a race of people. And until he gets here, God has to make sure he protects that race of people. And from this chapter, until you get to the New Testament, that is basically what your Bible is. A story of God keeping his word to protect that family group, even though they screwed up on every page. Even though there were murderers and rapists, kidnappings, all kinds of horrible things. And God used those people. By the end, something's going to occur to you. Even if I don't say it, it's going to occur to you. If God, if, if God could use those people, you can finish the rest of that sentence. He can use any one of us. He told Abraham, I'm going to make of you a great nation. He started with that. So this whole group of people, one thing about a nation is with all those people, they tend to beget other people, and it makes a continuous line. He needs a continuous line because the Messiah isn't coming in this chapter. He's not coming in the next or the one after that. He needs a bunch of people. And Who does he start with? He's just said, I, I need people, and I need a lot of them, a whole nation. Who's he talking to? Talking to a man who's never had kids. His wife has never had kids. God still uses people. It doesn't matter what it looks like to us on the outside. In God's plan, he doesn't send angels to come down here and walk on the earth and do it for us. He talks to a person. On every other page in your Bible, God is either talking through the clouds, talking into someone's heart, sending an angel to talk to some woman. You're going to have a kid. You know, he did that with Sarah, Abraham's wife. He did that with Samson who was a fantastic protector. We'll probably get to him. He did that with Mary when it was time for Jesus to get here. God uses people. So he introduces this idea. In all the families, the whole earth is going to be blessed because of what comes out of you, Abraham. In your group of people, the earth is going to be blessed, even though they screwed up all the time. Let's look at a great example of that. A few pages. Go to Genesis 45. 
Abraham had a son named Isaac, and Isaac had a son named Jacob. Jacob had a lot of kids, and one of them was Joseph. He was one of the youngest. His brothers, this is why it's so good to know these stories inside and out, so that we can talk about them, pull out of the few of the relevant details, and you understand how God worked his plan through each of these stories. In Genesis 45, we're now to the point where Joseph had been sold to slavery. He went down into Egypt. He ends up in the dungeon because Potiphar's wife lies about him. He's this close from losing his neck, and yet he, God working through his life, he interprets some dreams. The word of that ability gets up to Pharaoh. And because of that, they call for Joseph. They bring him in, and Joseph interprets Pharaoh's dream. And because of that, Pharaoh says, this guy is now in charge. Pharaoh. He's top dog. He puts Joseph in charge of everything that Egypt owns. When Joseph saves by interpreting the dream, he doesn't just save Egypt, even the surrounding nations. Because you remember, Jacob and his family during the famine, they come down to Egypt to buy corn. And when they're there, they have to buy it from Joseph. This is now in the part of the story where Joseph lets his brothers know, you haven't seen me in 30, 40 years, but I'm the one that you sold into slavery. Chapter 45, verse 7. And God sent me before you to preserve you a... Pos- what's that word? Posterity. That means a lot of kids, generations of people that you haven't even thought about yet. Grandkids, great, it's the lineage he was talking about. What you see buried in verse 7 is God's continual plan through the Old Testament of protecting Abraham's line. And Joseph understood at least part of it. He says, I now know God sent me here, even though I went to the dungeon and it was terrible. I was lied about, I almost lost my life. I had been away from my family, but guess what? Now I understand. God Put me in this position to save. He didn't tell you, he did not say to save you, brothers. To save your posterity. Joseph understands that God's plan, he, that he needs this group, this lineage of people to survive. And they're not now starving in Canaan. They've come into Egypt and there's plenty of corn because of what God did through Joseph. God uses people. He needed that Abrahamic lineage to survive. And who did he use? He used the guy in the dungeon. This close from being wiped off existence, losing his life. He could have gotten stabbed in a fight down there. He could have strangled him. One of the dungeon people, the leaders down there, could have lied on him and had him killed. That's what happens in prisons and dungeons. There's not much rule of law down there. God preserved him, and he used that person to preserve not just the whole world, but God specifically wanted the Abrahamic covenant people and their line of blood to remain in the earth. And that's what Joseph tells his brother, to save your lives, to make sure you people keep having kids. He didn't say it here, but the plan seeps out through these verses so that someday God can bring his Messiah through your genetics. It's remarkable. God uses people. 
One of the next people in the Bible is Moses. And we know Moses' life well. Remember where he started. He was born into a time where Pharaoh, there arose a new Pharaoh in Egypt who didn't know Joseph. And this Pharaoh doesn't like the, all these Israelites that keep multiplying. He doesn't want them to get so big that they can overthrow Egyptian rule. So he starts drowning male children. Moses is born into that time. Moses' mother was a courageous woman. She said, I'm not going to let them kill my baby. It won't happen. At least it's not going to happen in front of my eyes. And she builds this little flotation device, puts it in the Nile, and God makes sure. God makes sure that somehow, some way, the daughter of Pharaoh comes down to bathe in the Nile and finds him so that he, that little delicate baby that's this close from crocodile teeth, where does he end up? He ends up in the palace, the safest place there is. He learns of Pharaoh's court. He learns how government works. He's prepared. And one day, let's go to Exodus chapter 3. Exodus chapter 3. Moses is out in the wilderness. And God comes to talk to him in the first part of Exodus 3. This bush is on fire, and God talks to Moses out of the burning bush. Look at verse 9. Now therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel is come unto me, and I have also seen the oppression wherewith the Egyptians oppressed them. Come now, therefore, and I, I God, will send thee. God uses people. God opened up the Red Sea. Did he not have in his power to have Pharaoh drop dead of a heart attack in a heartbeat if he wanted to? Did God not have the ability to send angels and drag those Israelites out of Egypt? God sent a man. He used people. And here he tells Moses, I am sending you back to Egypt to bring these people out. In the previous verse that we skipped over, God is describing his plan. They're, they are supposed to be in the land of Canaan that flows with milk and honey. That's where they're supposed to be. And because of that, my plan that's supposed to work in the earth, I am sending a person, a man or a woman, who will obey me. God uses people. Think of other things right now in our present day, of God's will on the earth? Is it God's will that your neighbor be saved? Is it God's will that our town, our state, our nation see revival, be saved? We know that it is, don't we? How does God plan? How does God see that happening? Very, very unlikely that tomorrow morning angels are going to be swirling over Hebron preaching the gospel. It's very, very unlikely that the angels are going to go to every single door and knock and give them the gospel to witness to them, to be a good neighbor. It's much, much, indefinitely much more probable that God expects his people on the earth 
to do those things. Yes, he does. Think of anything that you know to be God's will in the Bible, and immediately God expects people to do it. And you think, well, <laughs> come on now. There's people like ISIS in the world. They're not too crazy about people spreading the gospel. That's why we go through these stories. Abraham was a hundred. and He was supposed to start this whole thing by having kids. Joseph was supposed to, his plan, protect this nation. And he's the only guy that's not with the nation. He's in a foreign country and in their dungeon. And he ends up protecting that nation. Moses is supposed to deliver these people, and he's out in the wilderness. He's not even with those people in Egypt. And God comes to him, speaks to him through a burning bush. In every example we look at where God uses a person, it would never be a person that you would pick if we were to look at it. What's the probabilities? Who has the best chance? And whoever you pick, it's, it's never that person. God finds people that nobody's looking at. The Bible tells us we look on the outside and God looks at the heart. As we'll see in some of these instances, God likes having someone of a little bit lesser visibility do something amazing because then everybody has to conclude. I think God was involved in that. All the time. So Moses goes back and he brings these people out. And Moses is a fantastic leader in so many ways. And yet, those people were stiff-necked. He couldn't get them there. Could not get them to the promised land. They end up marching in the wilderness for 40 years. And Moses is taken by the Lord. He's not allowed to go into the promised land. And it's handed over to Joshua. And now the Bible tells us that Moses spoke to Joshua and told him, You know where we're supposed to be. We're supposed to be in Canaan. You know what God has instructed me to do, and I'm leaving this earth, and it's now up to you. Those are the, the early verses in Joshua, and he's telling, God tells Joshua also, you don't turn to the left hand, and you don't get distracted by what's on the right hand. You do what I tell you. You follow my commandments. You meditate on them, and if you do that, you'll have fantastic success. We have conferences and seminars on those verses, and we should. They're wonderful. Don't forget about the one guy who was given those instructions. One person. Joshua. And the Bible tells us, as we saw last week, Joshua eleven fifteen, that he left nothing undone. Joshua followed the instructions of a guy who was not even on the earth for several decades. God's talked to some of us in this room, and we forgot about it the next week. We've walked away from it, we left it. We're forgetful. We laid down a dream. We laid down a, an instruction maybe that he gave us. Joshua followed instructions that were given to somebody else in a previous generation. And he picked it up and he walked with it. And because of that, God kicked out Hivites and Amorites, Jebusites. He drove them out. And they went in and possessed the land. Not because God supernaturally drug them in there. Joseph, or Joshua had to get up, get the people encouraged, and they walked in there. Yes, God did miraculous things through them. Absolutely. He brought down the walls of Jericho. He did it after they were obedient. One, two, three, seven times they marched around that thing. <coughs> Didn't say a word. When it came time, when they blew those horns, and they shouted, 
The walls came down because they did what God told them. God uses people. He did not tell Joshua and the Israelites, you guys get yourself cleansed, get your perfume and your smell good, get your go-to-meeting clothes on, and you get ready that after the angels go in there and kick those people out, then you can go in. Now, wouldn't that have been a fun story to read about? We, American Christians would have read about that every Sunday. Look what God does for us. He does it in a different way. He waits till you take the first step into the Jordan River, and then what happens? Waters go back. He wants to see if you'll step in. And as soon as you do, the Bible says, as soon as the soles of the foot of those priests carrying the ark, as soon as they touched the Jordan River, the water went back and it dried up before them. Remember when the spies that Joshua sends into Jericho and they meet Rahab the harlot? She said, we heard. We heard how God dried up the Jordan from before you guys. And we're, we're dead men walking. We're scared to death because of that. See, God needs sometimes for the unsaved to see what works in the lives of the saved. It's a very... It's a powerful picture when somebody who doesn't know God sees something like that happen. God uses people. Today, sitting here, we can't predict exactly how he's going to use us or somebody else tomorrow. We don't know those things. But we have so many examples that encourage us and strengthen us that we know that he will. And it'll be pretty fun to be there to watch it. Moses... Joshua, Gideon. Go to Judges. Judges chapter 6. That's right, Gideon. Here's another guy that was an obvious choice for God to use to deliver an entire nation. Now there are some things in this story that are, you have to read them slowly. It's hard to believe. It's really We know that it worked because we're on the other side of the story. But before you ever know that Gideon is even going to charge these Midianites, look at some of the numbers. Look at some of the obstacles that Gideon overcomes. Judges chapter 6 and verse 11. And there came an angel of the Lord to kick out the enemies of Israel. Bible doesn't say that, Tina. Mine, mine doesn't either. Nobody's Bible says that the angel went in there and kicked out those nations. But it does tell us this, that the angel comes to Gideon and tells him, in verse 12, the, Lord, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him and said unto him, The Lord is with thee, thou mighty man of valor. Mighty man of valor. It's really easy for us to start picturing somebody who's got bulging muscles, 6'6", six, six, some big stud, Tom Selleck type. But as we read on, Gideon himself says, I'm the weakest guy in my dad's family who is the smallest, weakest family in our tribe. Not only does God use people, but once again, who does he use? Sometimes, many times, he uses people that have no other choice but to lean on God. But once again, God uses people. 
Verse 15. He, Gideon, he said unto him, O my Lord, wherewith shall I save Israel? Behold, my family is poor in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord said unto him, Surely I will be with thee, and thou shalt smite the Midianites as one man. It's real easy to read over that and think that that's poetry, that it just sounds good. Beat him as one man. And I'm not here to preach that Gideon went by himself as only one person. But what the angel is saying is, I just need one person here. You've just told me you're poor, small man in, a, in your father's house, but we're going to do it as if it was only one person. And that's God's idea. That's not Gideon's. God works through people. He uses people. And every time, biblically speaking, when he finds somebody that agrees to what they've heard from God, when Abraham heard from God, let's just go out in the wilderness, he did it. This guy, Gideon, he has no strong friends to back him up. He doesn't have the, uh, uh, any other promise than what this angel is telling him. But he believes that it was sent by God, and if, as he said, I'll be with thee, now he's starting to, he's starting to get on board with this. And if you don't know the story, Gideon, of course, everybody would have some doubts. And the, the Lord tells him, you go down to the tent of your enemies tonight. Put your ear against their tent and I want you to listen. Gideon does that. And he listens and inside that tent he hears the Midianites talking over a campfire. And they're telling each other, I had a terrible dream last night. There's some guy named Gideon of the Israelites that's going to come and kill every one of us. Every one of us. Now, they've never even met Gideon. They don't even know that there's that guy named in Israel. But he hears this through the tent. And he and his friend run back to the Israelite camp, and they are hooping and hollering. They are jumping. They are punching the air the whole way back. And it's done something to them. They have heard that even their enemy thinks that they're dead. Now, as Christians, as Bible believers, we shouldn't have to listen for the enemy to agree with us. It doesn't matter what the enemy says. As Bible-believing people, if God's on our side, if they're the ones chanting that they're going to win, that they're going to take our head, we do like David. We kick the door down. No, I'm taking your head from you. But it sure didn't hurt to hear that your enemy thinks that you're going to get them tomorrow. God encouraged Gideon. He encouraged him. and Gideon ended up being obedient. They go down there and as what happens over and over in the Bible, God orchestrates this confusing battle and the, the Midianites end up fighting each other, killing off a bunch of their own. And in the end, the Israelites don't have to do much. But they did have to get up. They did have to step that first foot into the Jordan. That's what you see over and over when God uses these people. He does do miraculous things. And so many times an angel is involved, but you, not many times are the angels out there actually putting the sword to people. It's a man's hand. It's a woman's heart in belief. It's a woman's faith that says, I'll do exactly as you said. They listen to the angel. Almost every time the angels are messengers that come from God. You get to the end of the Bible, yes, then some angels start pouring out some bowls of wrath. They start coming down here to to clean up the earth, but until we get there, it's people's job. 
people's job to carry out God's will, to hear his voice, to understand his plan and his clear spoken will and step in and be a part of it. Do it. So Abraham, he received that promise. Joseph helped protect those people. Gideon helped protect those people. In this book of Judges, there's another guy who helped protect Israel. Let's go to Judges chapter 14. Uh, 13. Judges chapter 13. Let's see, what verse is that? Verse 5. Samson. This angel comes to talk to what would be the mother of Samson. Verse 5 in chapter 13. For lo, thou shalt conceive and bear a son, and no razor shall come on his head. For the child shall be a Nazarite unto God from the womb, and he shall begin to deliver Israel out of the hand of of the Philistines. There's a plan for this child's life. And as part of this plan, seems strange to us today, as a Nazarite, <clears throat> the angel tells this mother, don't let a razor touch this child. Don't cut his hair. And as for the mother, while she was burying him, she was not supposed to have any strong drink. There's a few other commandments. The Nazarites were kind of strict in a way. They do this. They're obedient. And Samson, as we know, raises up and he is a protector. He is there to make sure that these oppressed Israelites, and we, we can't have them wiped off the earth. We found that that's an initial assumption. God tells Abraham that at the beginning. The nation that comes from you is where the Messiah is going to show up someday. So through all of most of the rest of the Old Testament, we have these wonderful people. This is why the Bible is filled with heroes. There are people that are protecting the nation of Israel from slaughter, from complete genocide. And this Samson guy is one. The Bible tells us in some of these stories of Samson that he killed a lot of people, Philistines. But he had a terrible weakness. You ladies sometimes may doubt your power. Read the story of Samson. Samson could not be controlled by entire village, entire towns. They would come out to try to shackle him and he would throw them all off. But one woman got to him. So many in the civilized world where women can say no, they hold the power. And Samson had a weakness. And because of this, this woman Delilah ended up being the instrument that shaved his head. And it was found, after she did that, because that, he revealed the secret to her. He wasn't supposed to do that. He told Delilah, if, I, if, if my hair is ever cut, I'll lose my strength. She does that. The Philistines come in, they capture him, they put out his eyes, and they chain him to a millstone so that he is grinding grain for the Philistines. He does that for a long time. He is... They celebrate. They have this huge celebration. The Bible tells us that in this building, this place where they were at, there were 3,000 people just on the roof. And they call for Samson. They want to make sport. The Bible says that they thought that their God was supreme, that their God favored them because they were able to capture this amazing person, Samson. And they had him down here chained up. He had his eyes put out. It's been a long time now. 
and they bring him out for sport to make fun of him. And as Samson is led into that big building, he, at, he tells the young man who is leading him, please let me lean on the pillars that is holding this place up. And the Bible tells us that his hair had begun to grow. Now that, this is a picture, and may not immediately seem like it to you, but it is a picture of somebody getting back into obedience. He was not supposed to have had his hair cut. And it tells us that while he is down there grinding, that his hair began to grow. And when they bring him in to make fun of him, his hair is long again. And Samson asked God, give me, give me one more time. One more time, put strength in me. And the Bible says that he pushed those pillars out, and it said that he killed more Philistines, more of the enemies in his death than in all of his life combined. Now what's the lesson in that? When God uses people, they, they mess up sometimes. And Samson did. But if you're listening to this and you're in your 80s, or maybe even in your 30s and you think you've done something terrible that God can't forgive, the Bible clearly teaches us we confess our sin. He is righteous, faithful to forgive us, and we can immediately be back in God's will. And you can do more at the end of your life than you had ever done in your first 60, 70 years. As a believer, we never think that it's over for us. Never. We always have some purpose. Look at the men and women in the Bible. Moses' job to get those people into the promised land, that lasted every single day of his life. It was only the last day of his life when they were right there ready to cross the Jordan and God took him. Same with Samson. He, he was a protector till his last breath. God's plan for us, it never leaves us. It never leaves us. He may add certain things, but God does not, he's not the, the changing person that a lot of believers think he is. That One day, well, God had me do this, and next week I'm now doing something different. For the most part, biblically speaking, God's not like that. He's a very consistent being. He's so perfect. He really doesn't have to come up with something new. Samson. What about David? David is another great example of somebody that the reason we know about him is because that lineage of people needed to get to the New Testament for sure. Even at the end of the age, we're save that. But David was there to protect them. The day that David defeated Goliath, he started that day as a shepherd boy. David would not have been somebody that we would have picked out looking through this whole nation of Israel. We've got to send somebody out to get that giant. Nobody would have thought, let's pick him. But God uses people. Couldn't use any of those professional soldiers there. They, there was so much fear in them. And this young boy ends up going before King Saul and convincing. He persuaded the king, please, let me go out there. I, I can never get past that part of the story. That David had to convince the king, please let me go. What was everybody else persuading? Please don't send me. There is no way. I've got a wife and kids at home. Please don't send me. David was 180 degrees opposite. We know of David today. 
And the reason God made those promises to him about his lineage being having a king on the throne because of what he did that day to Goliath. God has such rewards for obedience. Such rewards for obedience. And God uses people. There was no angel down there that was throwing that rock. There might have been one guiding it. There might have been one maybe down at the brook when David was picking those up, maybe to encourage him or grab this stone. But David had to get off his knees. Even after he was done praying down there, he had to get off his knees, reach in a bag, and put the stone in and start slinging it. Because God uses people. It was God's will that the Philistines not destroy Israel. And David knew that. He tells Goliath that. You go back and read it in 1 Samuel 17 and 18. He tells Goliath that God is on our side. We are a covenant people. You're uncircumcised. You don't even know about his covenant. And for that reason, because God's on our side, he is going to protect us. Your head is coming off your shoulders today. David knew God's plan. His will in the earth. He stepped forward to be an instrument in that plan. God uses people. He really uses people that know God's plan. Look at these people that did. You think Noah knew God's plan? He absolutely did. God told him, I've seen this wickedness, we've got to clean it up. Abraham knew God's plan. That's why he went and complained to God, I don't even have a kid yet. What's happening? I just have this Eliezer of Damascus in my house, and God makes the promise again. Go out and look at the stars. Your seed is going to be enormous. All these people that knew God's plan, Moses knew that the children of Israel, slaving away in Egypt, they're not supposed to be there. God told Moses on that mount where the burning bush is, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and it's our job to get the people to Canaan. When you know God's will, and I mean know it, you have the, there is this confidence that comes from the Bible that God helps those people to affect that plan. It's not sending angels to do it. And it's not a magic wand somewhere in the world. He does work through people. Last and best example. Galatians chapter 4 tells us something about Jesus. Jesus, that's right. He, even though he was God, how did he get here? Let's, let's turn there. Galatians chapter 4. This will be our last verse to look at. <clears throat> Galatians right before Ephesians. Galatians chapter 4. And verse 4. Because what's God's plan? He starts the nation through Abraham. He protects it through Joseph, David, Samson, Gideon all for the purpose of getting the Messiah here. And when, how does the Messiah get here? The Messiah comes as a man, as a person. Galatians 4.4 4, When the fullness of time was come. We've just described and looked at four or five people all during that fullness of time. When the fullness of time was come, God sent forth His Son. And how did He get here? Made of uh, well, he got here the same way Loretta did, the same way Tina. All of us came through the birth canal. And that's how Jesus, the Messiah, gets here. 
He was born of a woman. He was made under the law. He came here legally. God didn't send an angel down here to die on the cross. God, and this is where we're tweaking the definition a little bit, but God uses men, people, women. God uses people in this earth. We didn't look at the story of Mary, and that's a great one too to go home and read, where the angel comes to Mary, describes that you're going to have a kid, even though you're not going to know a man, and it's going to be from the Holy Ghost. And what does she say? Be it unto me, just as you have spoken. God used her. How would God get his Savior to the earth? You think somebody would have had Mary marked as, this is how? No way. No way. She's not even married. Yet God had the plan. And he used people at every turn. And from this point until we get to the end, how is God going to affect his will in the earth? We know. God is so consistent. We know how he's going to do it. We don't know exactly which person's hand, but it's going to be through a person, a small group of people, a large group of people, a nation of people. He's going to use some people to affect his will. He always has. And until we get out of here, the Bible seems pretty clear he always will. It's when you look at the world and you think of problems in the world that need to be solved, places that need to be touched, remember how we now look at that. Our worldview is he's going to use somebody. God will use somebody to make that better. That's his will. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we pray, Lord, that each one of us would be strengthened and encouraged. I pray that we would be conformed to the image of your Son. I pray, Lord, that you would continue to help this body of believers to affect the earth in any way that we can for your, your goodness, and your will, and your purpose. And Lord, in, in, in that vein, we remember and we thank you, Lord, for pastor preaching in California. We pray that you would guide, strengthen him, be with him as he preaches, ministers, the relationships that he forges out there. We pray, Lord, that you would prosper him, that you would protect him in his travel home, that you would bring him home safe. Jesus' name we pray. Amen.